Well, tonight we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21, but we're not going to read it just yet. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a little out of order here than what you're used to, I suppose. Um, but I just want to start off just with a thought here. Um, we do everything, we do lots of things on purpose, right? We do lots of things on purpose. Even, even little kids, they do lots of things on purpose, and you, you even know that sometimes they're sweet gentleness is, it's on purpose because they want to get something, right, you know? I mean, if we step back and analyze our life for just a second here, we realize we, we wake up in the morning and we take a shower. It's because you, you stink. Young guys, take notes. You do stink, okay? I know they're in the youth center right now. This is for them, but uh, we, then we go, we get a coffee, right, because uh, we need to wake up. There's a purpose behind it, right? Send the kids off to school because they need to be educated, so that they can succeed in life. We, we work so that we can have a source of income. We can have some meaning and fulfillment in that. We eat meals so that we can be strengthened, energized. We go on vacation so that we don't have a nervous breakdown, right? Uh, we also, you know, go on date nights and get a babysitter so that uh, we don't have a nervous breakdown again. Uh, and hopefully you're also here tonight on purpose, um, Maybe the purpose for you being here is because you ate dinner and you feel guilty, so you're like, I might as well pay my respects and go into service. Maybe you have uh, some relationships with people that you, you like to deepen. Um, maybe you enjoy the time of worship um, and you like experiencing that through singing. Um, maybe you like to feed your soul uh, by hearing the Word of God. Uh, but what you do is on purpose. When you look at your life, things are done on purpose. Just as, as we, as a church, Calvary Spokane, uh, we do things on purpose, like tonight. Tonight, we're trying to accomplish something. What I'm doing right here is on purpose. And what we're trying to accomplish, Calvary Spokane, just in general, I mean, through tonight, through, through the preaching tonight, I want you guys to become more fully mature. I want me to become more fully mature by looking at the Word of God. I want, to, I want you guys to become more, more whole, more like Jesus Christ, to be able to carry on the tasks that the Lord has given us with, with diligence. I want you guys to be a bright, shining light in this community so that people may see your good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. I want you guys to have a faith that is so strong that in the face of any kind of trial or temptation or whatever storm comes about, that you would stand firm in the Lord and always put your trust in Him. And I want you guys to be fully integrated into the body of Christ in Spokane, and, and that we would be in such a unity uh, that, that Satan and demons and whatever is evil, that the gates of hell would be terrified at what Jesus is going to accomplish in this city. And that's, that's what we want. That's what we're, so we're, that's what we're going to try to accomplish uh, through the time of teaching here. And one of the reasons that I want to accomplish this is because at the end of time, I got to present my work to Jesus. I got to be like, he, he says, I, I got to come before him, and he says, uh, what have you done? And I say, here's what I did, and I got to present my treasure to Jesus. What I've been building with my life is presented to Jesus, and only what's done is done for Christ will last. And uh, you guys are the work of Calvary Spokane. You guys are Ken's treasure. Is that cool? He's going to come before Jesus, and he's going to present his work, Calvary Spokane, 
along with the other staff people and other people here who work, they present you guys to Jesus, and, uh, and we want you guys to be full and, and equipped, right? This is the treasure, the thing we're working for. So it's important to me, it's important to us that you guys become more and more like Jesus. So I also want to note that when we open up our Bible, so tonight we're going to be opening up to Colossians, that this book was written, this, this letter was written by Paul on purpose, right? He wrote it on purpose. He was writing to a specific people about specific things that he wanted to address. And he knew people, and he, he knew them by name, and it was, it was intentional. It was done on purpose, for purpose. And as an aside, if you guys are looking for a, a different rewarding way to study the Bible, I would encourage you guys to, you know, maybe sit and open up Colossians or open up Ephesians and just read the whole thing. Because that's, that's how Paul wants this, this letter to be read. He wants Colossians to be read on the whole because he's got a, a series of arguments, a series of points. He's got a series of things he's trying to lay out. In the beginning, he says, hey, how's it going? And then he, and then he works through it. Maybe as you're, as you're reading, you think to yourself, who's writing this? Why is he writing this? What's he saying? What are some of his points? What are some of his reasonings? And when we start doing this, when I started doing this more often, I started to understand the reasoning and the mind of God himself. Um, this Christian life started making a whole lot more sense to me. So I would encourage you guys, if you've got the time in your own personal study with the Lord, to sit down and try to, try to bust out Colossians in one sitting and think about that, or Ephesians, or, or whatnot. I heard a story one time. A family was praying at dinner. At the end of the prayer, the youngest son, he was a little kid, he was so excited. He said, I kept my eyes closed the whole time. I thought it was cute. I thought it was cute because uh, uh, the main objective of prayer isn't to keep your eyes closed. We know that, right? It's, it's to talk with God. But the same way when we read our Bibles, the main objective isn't, wouldn't be just to say, hey, I read Colossians. I read the whole book. Yay. Good job. But uh, it's, it's cute. But the, the purpose is that we might understand the mind of God and that we might become more and more like Jesus Christ. So as we work through this tonight, it's my intention to bring the ideas, the principles Paul's trying to communicate to us here and now, uh, because they're God's Word, and it's eternal, and it still works today. So if you guys would stand and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 15 through 21. I have to find it too, though. might take a while. Oh, I found it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, He, that is the Son of God, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything we might have, he might have the supremacy. For God was, to, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once, 
you were alienated, alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firmed, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. And this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your, your truths that are eternal. We thank you for your great love for us, God, that you still communicate to us, God. Pray that you would cut to our hearts, Lord, with your word, your living and active word that's sharper than any double-edged sword. So speak to us through your spirit, through your word. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Be seated. So uh, what is Paul saying here? I mean, it's got to fit into what he's saying in the whole, right? It's a, it's a piece of the pie, it's a piece of the whole, and it, and it fits in there perfectly. And so I'm going to give you guys kind of an outline in my own words of what Paul's trying to say in the, in the letter to the Colossians. So he starts out writing to the Colossians, like kind of probably how you would start out a normal letter, like, hey, I love you. Hope it's going well. We're rooting for you. Hope you're having a good time over there, right? We love you. We're rooting for you. Um, I want you guys to succeed. I want you to grow in your knowledge. I want you to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and in maturity. Um, we're on board with you guys. We're on, we got your back over here. We've been praying for you. Um, it's a good start to a letter. And then he moves on because he's got some issues. Some, there's some issues in the church in Colossae, and he wants to deal with them. So he starts out, before dealing with their issues, he wants to start out with some theological truth here. He, got, he goes, guys, um, Jesus is number one. Jesus is number one, okay? There's nobody else. Nobody else is number one. Son of God, Jesus Christ, is number one, okay? We're going to start there. That's where we're starting here, okay? And also, Jesus has accomplished salvation for you and me. He, he goes on and explains a little bit of what the gospel is. He goes on from there and explains, okay, I'm a, and I am Jesus's servant, and I'm working really hard that you guys might become whole and complete in Jesus Christ. From there, he goes on and talks about some of these issues with the church. He exhorts them. He doesn't want, to, he doesn't want them to mix up their religions, to mix in other religions with Christianity, with Jesus Christ. He, he wants them to worship Jesus and Jesus alone, and not some other angels, not other spirits, right? He wants them to know Jesus Christ. He doesn't want them to go looking for any sort of special mystery or special secret knowledge or participating in any special ritual initiations or practices, uh, just superstitious sort of practices. He wants them just just know Jesus, worship Jesus, and know Jesus. Don't mix other religions in with this. You'll get all weird. It's going to get all tripped up and everything, and you're going to get confused, all right? Let's just keep, keep it simple. It's about Jesus here. And then he explains, okay, here's how you can do it. Here's how you can do it in your neighborhood. Here's how you should do it in your family. And then at the end, he says, peace. Hope you guys are doing good, okay? See you later. Um, so it's pretty normal. It's, you know, that's modern terms, my modern vernacular version, but I have, to, I have to think that's the way I think. You know, I read through the Bible, I'm like, okay, how would I write this letter? You know, what are the words that I would use in today's language? So that's what, that's how I broke it down for you guys. So, um, so now from that, we kind of see 
we'll kind of see what I want to talk about tonight. And what I want to talk about is Jesus is number one, and how Jesus being number one ought to affect my life, how it ought to affect your life, because it ought to affect your life. Jesus is number one. You got to begin with the belief that God exists for Jesus to be number one, right? I'm not going to explain the reasoning behind the existence of God, but I'm going to tell you that what we believe about God has no effect on whether God exists. What we believe about God has no effect upon the existence of God, right? I mean, our beliefs don't alter reality in general. What I believe about mathematics does not alter mathematics. It doesn't matter what my teacher says or what I say to my teacher. I could try to explain all day long. I know one plus one is three, but I'm wrong because what I believe doesn't alter mathematics. What I believe doesn't alter science. What I believe doesn't alter logic. Even what I believe about Bigfoot doesn't alter the reality of Bigfoot, okay? It's still out there for debate, okay? But our beliefs don't alter the reality of spiritual things either, like God. He is not altered by our beliefs. However, our beliefs about God has an effect on our position with God. Our beliefs about God alter our behavior. Our beliefs about God alter our relationship with Him. And our beliefs about God alter our ultimate destiny, our eternal destiny. So what you believe about God doesn't affect God, but what you believe about God has an effect on you. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to believe God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So, once you accept God's existence, then Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we must recognize that He is above everything else. Every other faith that does not recognize the person and position of Jesus Christ exclusively is ripping you off. They're, they're really ripping you off. Whether by exalting another God, I mean, the pedestal of God has Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's no room for anybody else on the pedestal of God, in the being of God. You can't exalt another God up there. You can't exalt an angel up there. You can't exalt any sort of spirit, any person, including yourself. You don't belong up there either. There's nobody on par with him. There's nobody above him. And sometimes uh, other religions or other faiths, faiths even sometimes ourselves, uh, we get ripped off because we dismiss his commands we cover them up with other teachings. Maybe you say to yourself, or other people say, you can accept Jesus, but there's a deeper truth that, you, that will be revealed to you once you become an elite special member, and um, I'll, if you guys make out a check to me, then you guys can become a super special member, and I'll give you the deeper spiritual truths. Um, so, anyways, uh, they're going to do an offering here in a second, and uh, just get those checks ready right? No, I'd be ripping you off. I'd be ripping you off. And Paul wanted the people in Colossae to get this. Uh, just because God, you may, he may use an angel or he may use to send a message doesn't mean that angel should be worshiped. Just because a person is used by God does not mean that person is divine. Just because a person has power, has power or influence in society or somebody's a scientist 
they have letters after their name, maybe somebody's loud or persuasive or super confident, doesn't mean that they're free from error and cannot be wrong. Just because religions have some sort of secret doesn't mean they have actually any knowledge of truth. Things got to be tested. And, and for us, we know that all knowledge is found, all truth is realized, all mystery is explained, all worship is, is centered in Jesus Christ, nobody else, no other. And Paul goes on, and he starts talking about this. He starts explaining why, and he starts, and I'm going to start off here in verse 15. He says, number one, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. So, if you guys have ever done a Where's Waldo for God, you haven't found him, right? You're like, where is he? And if I'm looking throughout here, I like don't see God sitting anywhere, right? God, we understand, is spirit. He doesn't like really live in this, you know, physically. He doesn't have a physical, you know, place that we can point to and say, God over there, God's over there, you know. Um, but when you look at Jesus, as he's presented in the Word of God, you can look right at Jesus and say, that is God. That is God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When you look at Jesus, you see God. And then Paul goes on and says, Jesus is the firstborn over creation. And, and it refers to, he wasn't like born first. The Son of God wasn't, you know, born first and then all creation came. It, it's referring to his position. The position of firstborn is, the, is the, the highest position in the family inheritance. And so Jesus, as first, firstborn, he's talking about Jesus as creator, as the Son of God being the creator. He's not a created being. He's the firstborn over creation. He's not from creation, right? So Jesus is the firstborn over creation. And then it talks about how how, how the Son of God, Jesus, is, he's, he's the creator, he's the beneficiary of creation, he's the sustainer of creation. Think of, I think of myself, like if I were to know how to build a chair, maybe, which I don't, um, I might need some tips. If somebody wants me to show me how to build a chair or how to fix a chair, maybe I have a chair at home that needs fixing. Um, maybe you can write a check to me about that too. <laughs> Offering baskets can be coming around in a second here. Um, no, but if I were to build a chair, um, I could make the chair, and then after the chair was made, I can sit in it, and I can enjoy the chair if I was a good carpenter, maybe. And then if something ever broke in it, or if something was wrong with it, I could fix it, and I could take care of it. And this is like the idea of the Son of God with creation. He makes it, he enjoys it, and he holds it together, and he fixes it, right? This is what the Son of God does. The Creator the enjoyer, and the sustainer of creation. So, Son of God, okay. Son of God is, Jesus is God. He's over God, above God, or sorry, over creation, and he's, he's the creator. He enjoys it. He holds it all together, and then he is the head of the church, right? The body of believers. The church is not just Calvary Spokane, you understand, but it's like every Christian everywhere of all time. Jesus is the head. And so you guys understand the head, it's like gives signals to the rest of the body and tells everything else what to do, right? That's how the head works. So Jesus is, he's kind of the president, the CEO. He's the supervisor, supervisor on duty, 
of the body of Christ, right, the church. He's in charge of it. We all, we all report to Jesus in this church here, right? And then he says he's the beginning and the firstborn of the resurrection. It says he, he, planned, he planned to die before, uh, before the cross, before any, anything was created. He knew man would fall, and he knew he would have to die, but he also knew that he would conquer death. He'd be raised to life, and, he, and he's the first one in the resurrection. He's our forerunner. He's a trendsetter in the, in the resurrection. Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrection. And then he says, in everything, he has the supremacy. He has the supremacy. It's interesting that supremacy here, or the idea of supremacy or being preeminent, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but Paul uses it here. And it's kind of the idea that, that Paul is building up to, that he's, he is supreme. I, um, I, I enjoy cinema. Does anybody, anybody out there enjoy film, movie, cinema type stuff? Nobody raises their hand. They're all afraid, right? I ask the same thing a lot. I, I preach at another church on Sundays uh, out in Seven Bays, and I ask if they watch movies, and nobody, nobody raises their hand. But it's just usually just me and one other guy. And it's like, it's like we watch all the movies. Sorry for everybody else. Um, but uh, there's this movie out there, uh, or this series of movies called The Born Movies. I don't know if you've heard of them. Born Identity, Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum. Uh, they're pretty good. I enjoy them, right? And, and I, the other week, I saw The Born Supremacy, um, and, it's, and it's just interesting. This guy, Jason Bourne, the super spy, the idea that he is so good. He is such a good spy. There's nobody better than him. He's always 100 steps ahead of you, and he knows what's going on, even though he doesn't know what's going on. He knows what's going on. Um, nobody's better than him. It's the same sort of idea transfer, but on such a higher level with Jesus Christ. That there's nobody, there's nobody, hands down, the best, not, only to, not, not to mention the only legitimate God. Only legitimate God, hands down, the best. Jesus is number one. And all the fullness of God dwells in him. What God is really like, you know, what is God really like? The God above, the God above us, what is he really like? If I were ever to meet God, what would he be like? That's a good question. The answer, the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. That is what he would really be like, Jesus Christ, right? And then it says all things are reconciled to God through Jesus' blood shed on the cross, including us. It says we were enemies of God in our minds, be separated from him because of our evil behavior, but Jesus Christ, the God who is above all things, number one, supreme, preeminent God, made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, like this, this son of God who is spirit, took, he wrapped himself in flesh, kind of, you like, you remember when Jesus like wrapped himself in a, in a cloth and an apron and he like washed people's feet, it's kind of the idea of what, what God did in general is he wrapped himself in flesh and then he came down and served mankind. And by his physical body, through death, his death on the cross, we can become holy in his sight, free from the blemish of evil, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, don't move from the hope in Jesus. I mean, I said earlier I said other religions, other faiths, 
that Lord Jesus ripped you off. And they do. When you, when you see Jesus in the light that he is, when you see him as supreme, when you see him as firstborn over all creation, the sustainer and the beneficiary of all creation, when you see him as he is, everybody else that says, oh, you can have Jesus and something else, some other God, you can worship other God. Why would you want to worship another God? Nobody even comes close to him, right? It's the essence of the gospel is what Jesus Christ has done for us. The essence of the gospel. The good news about God, it's who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. So this is kind of incredible. This is incredible to me that uh, Jesus is supreme. He's preeminent. I got to think of that when I wake up in the morning, that Jesus is supreme. You know, how am I going to spend my morning? Uh, like, I, I get ready, and I make my coffee, and I'm going to go do something, and then Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is supreme. And so I like, desire to spend my morning just with him. I, de- I desire to read the Bible and spend some time in prayer, um, because, and, that, and that's that, that, that word comes into my mind, though. It's preeminent. God is preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. He's supreme. I want to spend time with him. So, the Son of God, is, he's above everything, including all authorities. You know, authorities on this, on this earth, authorities that we can't see in the spiritual realms, God is above, above all those. And you think, good, somebody has to hold those loose cannons accountable, right? Somebody's got to be watching those guys. They've got to be accountable to somebody, right? Good. But what's difficult is when I come to realize that Jesus is supreme and preeminent and Lord of me. Of me. And of you. Right? Jesus is supreme, preeminent, and he's God, and he's high above even you. Right? I think of Romans 12, 1. He describes worship. Paul describes worship here. He says, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. Sometimes I think that the reasonable way for me to serve God is to throw him a bone every once in a while. Eh, I haven't, I haven't done anything for God lately, so here you go. Here's a bone for you. Um, now, for those of us who are dyslexic, that's, how the, that's the way you treat dog, not God. They're different, okay? We don't throw God a bone every once in a while, Okay. Our reasonable service to God is to give him our very life. That, that is my bone, all of my bones, and all of my flesh, and all of my blood, and everything that I am, including my mind and my strength, to him. My whole body belongs to him. As a living sacrifice, I'm living for him. And I do this because he is supreme and because of what he's done for us that he gave his life for me first. You might think, well, this is too much. You can't, I don't know, can you really ask that of me? You might think to yourself, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do, Mr. Preacher Man. You don't know me. Well, if you're not a Christian, then Jesus isn't the boss of you. But if you are a Christian, not only is Jesus the boss of you? If you're born again, you're full of the Spirit of God. I mean, that's what it means to call him Lord, to call him King. In fact, not only is he the boss of you, but he purchased you. He purchased you. 
He purchased you from sin and death with his own blood. He purchased you. You belong to it. Let that sink in. If you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus. He owns you. Whoa. He owns you. Scary. To quote 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, your life is no longer your own. You were bought at a price. Obedience with your life isn't optional because Jesus owns your body. But we don't want to... We don't want to belong to Jesus. We don't want him to own us. We don't want him to be our boss and tell us what to do and boss us around. We resist this. We resist this fact. Sometimes we even detest it, right? And I think part of that is cultural, our distrust of authority, you know. We, we want to stick it to the man. We've been trained, part of our freedom heritage Part of, you know, watching our Disney movies, our Disney classics, um, that tell us to make your own person. You don't have to listen to your village elders. You don't have to listen to authority. Go make your own life kind of thing. We've been taught, you know, always be suspicious of people in charge. Always do what you feel like doing. Don't let anybody tell you what to do or be your boss. Da, 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 da. Make your own destiny, yada, yada, yada. This distrust is something in our culture that permeates even into the church, even into our relationship with Jesus. We don't trust him. We don't trust him. And you see it in our family dynamics, too, in our church and our families, uh, a chain of broken links, a distrust of authority. You can follow it, you know, from top to bottom or bottom to top, right? Children, they don't trust, they don't submit to their moms, broken chain. Wives don't submit or trust their husbands, psh, broken chain. Men don't submit to the church, psh, broken chain. Church doesn't want to submit to Jesus, psh, broken chain. All the way up and down. Permeates our Christian American culture. We don't want to submit to God. We don't want to call him Lord. We don't want him to own us. And what it creates is a milk toast, weak, lukewarm Christian because they never fully embrace the call Jesus has for their lives, because they don't want to recognize that Jesus really is Lord. Now, it is scary, and it may feel impossible allowing Jesus to be Lord, but it can be done. It can be done. I can give, give my life over to Jesus and call him Lord. I think of, guys, anybody ever read or seen the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, some of you. Same ones that all watch movies. Okay, they're all the ones who read books too. All right, cool. Um, in that book, uh, uh, Lucy and the girls, and they, they find out about Aslan, that he's a lion, and they're kind of afraid, right? He's a lion. That's scary. I don't want to hang out. I usually don't hang out with lions. I don't know about you guys. It sounds kind of scary to me. Um, and she, you know, she asked the beaver, is he safe? <laughs> is he tame? No, he's not, but he's good but he's good. Um, and this is who our God is. You know, he's strong, he's powerful, he's supreme, he's above all things, and that's scary to give your life over to him and allow him to be Lord, but he's good. And in our culture, and you see evil, and even in our own hearts, we look in our hearts and we see there's evil everywhere to, to call something good that's truly good and good in its entirety and its entire being. 
There's only one. It's number one. Jesus, right? So we understand Jesus is number one, okay? We understand what Jesus has accomplished. We understand that he, he, he cares for us, um, that when he looked down from heaven and, and he saw how, how evil and wicked we were, he, he wasn't just like, hands off, done with those guys. Well, no, he, he had compassion. Jesus has compassion on us. And he came down, he took on the form of a servant, and he served humanity, and then he died in our place so that we could live with him forever. It's an incredible thing that Jesus has done for us. And, and we can give our lives over, we can allow him to be Lord. We can deny ourselves. We can pick up our cross. We can decide to follow Jesus. Because when we do so, he gives us the strength to do it. Because he gives us his Holy Spirit. That's Emmanuel. That's God with us. God's actually dwelling in us and with us. And he gives us that strength. It's the same strength that raises Jesus from the dead is a strength available to you and I to, to call Jesus Lord and to live for him in Spokane. We can do that. We gotta trust, we gotta trust him, we gotta trust that he's good, we gotta trust that he's gonna be with us, we gotta trust that it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. I mean, for me, at the end of my life, when I come before Jesus, all the terrible things I've done are gone. They're not in the equation anymore. They're not, they're not factored in. They're not there. So all I have left is the treasure, the good things that I've done through the power of the Holy Spirit, the good things I've done through submitting my life to Jesus as Lord, is all that's left for me and for you if you call, your, if you call Jesus Lord. So I think that, you know, what I suffer now in this life, Romans 8.18, is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal, reveal to us later. I trust that, that what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has con- and no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. So it's a hard teaching, but it's, it's possible. It's possible. And it's, it's integral too. It's got to be done. If Jesus isn't your Lord, then what are you doing in this life? That's nothing, the thing you do in this life that's, everything you do that's not for Jesus, it doesn't transfer over to eternity. It's a terrible investment, pays no dividends, but everything that's done for Jesus pays dividends for eternity, pays dividends forever. So, Uh, Just to wrap this up, um, I'm so, I'm so proud of myself right now. I don't know about you guys, but last time I taught, I was like 30 minutes, and I promised Lee that I would be at least 35 minutes, and I went past the 35-minute mark, and I'm like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Um, So, um, I think the children's ministry people are going to be thankful for that too, but in the end, um, I mean, what I want to say to you guys is the same thing that Paul wants to say to the Colossians is that uh, I love you, that we love you. This church loves you. Calvary Spokane loves you, and we're rooting for you. We want you guys to succeed in this life in, in, in Spokane. I want you to remember that Jesus is number one. I want you to remember what he has accomplished. 
And I want you to look at your life and analyze your life and ask yourself, in this area of my life, is Jesus number one? Whatever it is, whatever it may be, whatever the Spirit may reveal to you. I want you guys to know that we're working hard to see Jesus and see this church grow in faith. And I want you guys to see that you're putting in your effort, that you're living for Jesus here in Spokane. So, amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful that you, that you care for us, God. We're so thankful. I mean, what is man, Lord, that you would think of him? Who are we? I mean, you are the God over the universe. You created the stars, the heavens, everything. And I'm such a small person, God, but you love me so much that you sent Jesus for me. This is incredible. Uh, you are worthy of all my praise, and you, the reasonable thing for me to do is to offer my life to you, to, to call you Lord, to embrace what you have for me. That's, the, that's what we want for all of us, God. And so we thank you, Father. We thank you for what, what you've done for us. We thank you that you sent Jesus for us, and we thank you that you're with us through your Holy Spirit. God, we praise you give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, because you alone are worthy. You're number one. In Jesus' name, amen.